Hi, I'm Keen Washburn. I'm the Student Locations Director here at The River Church. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text River Connect. That's one word, no space between the two words. Text River Connect to the number 97000, so 97000. Or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy the message today. So, kind of before we jump in, just to do a quick recap, uh, when we went through Matthew chapter 5 last year, we went through eight specific things. So in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3, we went through these statements. So hopefully, if you're like, I wasn't around last year, again, go to the River Church app, go to the River Church website, you'll be able to access old sermons, eight locations worth of guys preaching this. It's fantastic, but we went over each of these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed be the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Like, That's Jesus' opening to the greatest sermon ever recorded. Like, just in that, like, to sit there and be like, okay, we're going to unpack that for a little bit. Like, that's Jesus' intro. That's equivalent to me talking about, like, man, I'm going to have to hit my wife with a pie in the face. There's just a lot more theological, like, backing behind what Jesus is saying. That's Jesus' intro. He sits down and just drops that. But we talked about this all last year, and this is either going to like send you down like, oh goodness, I remember you saying this word over and over and over again. But the Beatitudes are all kingdom normatives. These are all things that it looks like to be a person who is a part of the kingdom of God. So poor in spirit, those who are broke, uh, people who are broken over their sin, uh, people who are meek, those who thun- hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, pure of heart, they're peacemakers, they're people who are persecuted for righteousness. Like, again, they're, they're showing the righteousness of Jesus in their action, and people revile and hate them. Those are things that you should experience when you're a Christian, when you're somebody who has been transformed by the grace, the work, and the blood of Jesus Christ. So for us, all of those, those kingdom normatives, if you know Jesus, you should see those in your life. You should see a merciful attitude. You should see meekness. You should see being broken over your sin. These are all things that you see. As believers, Jesus tells us who we are. And I love that. Because how many times have you ever struggled with believing a lie? How many times have you ever believed something that somebody else said that that's what you are? I love this. Because Jesus starts off, I'm like, no, this is what you are as a person who lives in my kingdom. You. No, you're not your sin. You're not your past. You're not your insecurity. You are. You're comforted. You are. 
going to inherit the kingdom of God. You are going to receive mercy. You are going to be persecuted. You're going to go through hard times because you're going to look like me. I love this. You are going to have a great reward one day. To hear this is amazing. To hear this, again, this is us. As, as Christians, how many times do we get caught up listening to lies? How many times do we get caught up, caught up listening to the narrative of our own self? How many times do we get caught up when somebody wants to lash at us? And that's who we are. Well, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. I could be this thing, I'm this insecurity, I'm this past sin, I'm all these things. But Jesus comes out right in the beginning. This is what you are if you're a follower of me. This is what you are if you've accepted me as Savior. This is what you are because you are a king. You are part of the kingdom of God. I love that. A great reminder for us as Christians to be able to see that. But I'm really excited uh, just to be able to preach over the next couple weeks. Because last year, it was like salvation every single week, which that's not a bad thing to always preach, making sure people know Jesus and it's a personal relationship. That's what every single sermon, every single growth community, anytime we get together as a church, like we really should have that gospel opportunity. It's the most important thing that we do here. Like not just build a crowd, not just make sure people are showing up. Like, do you know Jesus? Because, well, I showed up to growth community Okay, great. Do you know Jesus? No, but I, I showed up to growth community. Okay, that sweet, glad the attendance is there, but we really want to make sure that we're, we know Jesus. But last year, that, that we hit that over and over and over. Kingdom normative. Are you living for Jesus? Kingdom normative. Has Jesus rescued you? Kingdom normative. Does Jesus show mercy in your life? And you've got to show mercy. We hit that over and over and over again, which is an important thing. The thing I'm really excited for for the next couple weeks is we get to hit like the application of what Jesus kind of drives after. He's like, if you're part of my kingdom, if you're this blessed be, now you got to show it. This is what it looks like. This is the internal aspect. Jesus has been hitting that internal. Like, again, this is what your heart is. This is how you're going to show it. So going into the first verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, I love where we're going to go for the next two weeks especially. But Jesus says, you are the salt of of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Love what Jesus does. And again, we can't just take this, you're the salt of the world, and not take anything that we go through for the first couple uh, verses in Matthew chapter 5. We have to make sure that we understand. Jesus makes sure that people know your heart has to clearly be in the king's hand. Your heart has to be with Jesus. Because if your heart isn't confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, most of what we talk about over the next couple months is going to mean nothing. Because you can't go live a life honoring and showing that you love Jesus if your heart is not completely secured there. So have you been saved? Are you part of the blessed be? And out of that, what is Jesus saying go do? You're going to go be the salt of the earth. But he also says another thing. Don't lose your purpose. So go be the salt of the earth and don't lose your purpose. And I, I, I love this. Because if our hearts are truly focused and transformed and repurposed by Jesus, now there's action. The church is not meant to be idle. The church is not meant to be just philosophical or, man, that was a good heart issue sermon. The church of Jesus Christ is meant to be active. The church of Jesus is supposed to be doing something. 
Come into a gathering. Fantastic. Awesome. I, I really hope that your heart, again, I pray every single week, I hope your heart goes closer to Jesus. I hope, again, what James says, that again, when you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. I, I hope when you leave, your heart is leaving sin and past and pride and all those things at the foot of the cross. And again, you're, you're leaving with a deeper relationship with Christ. That's, that's what I desire. That's what I pray for. But as the church, we don't just stop there. Man, that was a good sermon, man. That part really got me good. All right, let's go on to next week now. No, we're, we're meant to do something. There's purpose behind what Jesus tells us to be when we're part of the kingdom of God. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. So let's kind of break this down a little bit. So who is Jesus talking to? When he says you, who is Jesus talking to? I hope every single one of you is like me. Not the person on the next side of the room, not the person in the back corner, not the pastor, not the deacons, not the person in the church over there. When he says you are the salt of the earth, I don't think he's just staring at Peter like you. This is like the one thing that we're told never to do in like preaching schools. Like you don't single one person out. Jesus completely just singles one person out in the entire crowd that's listening to him. You. Me. If you listen to Jesus' words, you. If you're a part of the blessed be, if you're part of the kingdom normative, you. You are the salt of the earth. You who is a believer. You who is a part of that blessed be. Reading through First Peter a couple weeks ago, you who, again, I love what Peter says, you are the chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the, excellence, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. If you're like, ooh, that's me, then when you say, well, who's Jesus talking to when he says, you are the salt of the world, that's you. If you've gone from death to life in the name of Jesus Christ, you are being talked to. So I hope right now you're not thinking, well, it's the guy on the other side of the room. That's Ryan. No, no. You. If you can say your heart is clearly in the hands of Jesus, if you will confess that Jesus is Lord. I'm not talking about how good you're doing in your walk with God. I'm not talking about your struggles. I'm not talking about your insecurities. I'm not talking about your past. If you can say, I know Jesus as my Savior. I look at the cross and I know that is my future because he gave me hope. I know that my future is in his kingdom because one day he is going to look at me and I pray to God that he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. If that's you, you are part of this you. That's you. It's me. It's all of us. It's the church. So there is an individual call, there's a collective call here, but again, you. But what does Jesus say that we're supposed to be? He he hits salt, I want to come back to this in a second, because this is like the major aspect of our our, our application here. But then what does he say? You are the salt of the earth. That's crazy. Now, can we get to China? No. We're going to get to the other side of the world? Probably not. But think about how big of a cause he just put everybody the people who showed up then listened to Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount. These, these, are, these are beggars. These are, these are paupers. These are people who are not like the highest esteemed of people. There was no job going on for them in the middle of the day. And they showed up. And Jesus looking at them and being like, you are the salt of the earth. Not Jerusalem. Not this Middle East area. Not around the Dead Sea. Not around the, the Mediterranean. He says, the world. Well, that's a big purpose. That's huge. The whole earth? Jesus, dude, you lost your mind, man. Because that's, that's one of the things we can start thinking about. Like, ah, oh, just, just Genesee County? Even Genesee County's like, ooh, that's a lot. If we just said the, just the city of Burton, ooh, that's a lot. If we just said like Grand Blake High School area, 
That's a lot. You start thinking about that like, whoa, but Jesus is like the whole earth. I, I, I love this because, again, Jesus is saying his disciples are going to perform a task that would affect all of mankind. Think about what the church is here for. It's not something small. It's not something itty-bitty. Jesus is like, what you guys are going to go do when you're the salt of the earth? Man, this is going to change lives. This is going to change generations. This is going to change continents. You are involved in something that has the capability of changing continents. This is not a small task. But then immediately if you're like, well, wait a second. Does, Does Jesus really know me? Yeah, he does. Because Jesus knows every one of our faults, every one of our failures, every one of our hang-ups, every one of our shortcomings, every one of our insecurities. Do you not think that he knew that about the crowd? He knew Peter was going to deny him. He knew Judas was going to betray him. And he looked at the crowd and said, you are the salt of the earth. He knew everything. And yet Jesus still knew he was going to send us. Jesus knew the cross was waiting for him because of the rebellion and every single one of the people who were listening to him's heart was going to cause him to go to the cross. He knows every single rebellion that you are going to have against God. But he doesn't take his words back. Let's put a little asterisk. You're the salt of the world. By the way, you're really going to do a bad job at this. By the way, you got failures and faults. He doesn't try to high road us out of this. Jesus says, you are the salt of the world. And yes, he knows every single aspect, every single shortcoming, every single insecurity that we have. And yet he still says, you are the salt of the earth. The fact that Jesus has this strange confidence in us is mind-boggling. Jesus knows about our insecurities. He knows our difficulties. He knows that we're going to struggle through life. And yet he still says, You are the salt of the earth. Jesus looks at us and is like, you are plan A. You're not the bench team. You're not the practice squad. You're going to go, and you're going to go do that. So you, you are the salt, we'll get to that in a second, of the world. So back to this. What does Jesus mean when he says salt? Now, what he is not meaning there's this new 2020-esque jargon where he says, again, salty. Have you ever heard of somebody who's like salty? Somebody who's salty is bitter, sour, upset. Like, again, they just have that demeanor about them. I'm not trying to say this. Like, when you see somebody, you just like, you talk to them, everything's bad. It's still alive. They see something they can complain about, they'll go complain about it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Hey, go be salty everywhere and just complain and just be upset about everything. Did you see what the Lions coach did? Uh, like, and again, I was doing that 45 minutes ago with Greg. In the same right, when you walk around and you see people, are you being salty? Are you upset over everything? I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to say. Believers, just go be salty. But sadly, sometimes the church is known as some of the most unpleasant people in the world. Anybody who works at a diner hates when the church crowd gets out. Despises it. Because they're going to get the most complaints. They're going to get the worst attitude. They're going to get the sourest face. Even though we just came in like, the joy of the Lord is unceasing. Where's my fries? (laughs) Okay. That's not what Jesus is saying when he's saying, we are the salt of the earth. 
But what does Jesus mean when he says we are the salt of the earth? We got to understand what Jesus was talking about. Salt back in Jesus's time had one primary function, and that was to preserve meat. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have ice boxes. They didn't have the really, really cool igloo coolers that you flip over and they, they can keep stuff cold forever. My sweet water bottle, they didn't have anything like that. They had no sense of refrigeration, no sense of coolant, no sense of anything. So what did they do? When they would get a piece of meat, they would almost dry rub salt everywhere on it, then they would store it in an airtight container to make sure bugs couldn't get there. But putting meat on it would make sure that it slowed the deterioration of rot. Or you would actually get a saline solution that's just a salt bath, and you'd dip your water into that, or the, the meat into the water, you'd pull it out, and again, you'd store it. That's how they would make sure, back in the day, they would preserve meat. So if you killed a deer, you killed a bison, they had lions and bears back in Jesus' day too. I don't know if they ate that stuff. But again, if you killed something of meat, that's how you would preserve it. So when Jesus is saying, hey, you are the salt of the world, he's not talking about being salty, bad attitude. He's talking about preservation. So for us, salt would stop the decomposition and eventual rot of the meat. So salt is something that brings preservation. It brings vitality. Salt stopped rot. It, again, it purified. It made sure it something didn't smell bad. And it slowed deterioration. Let's bring this all into kind of full circle here. Jesus, you are the salt, the thing that stops rot, the thing that stops decompo- decomposition. You're the one who brings preservation. You're the one who brings vitality. You are the salt of the earth. Ooh. This is that moment where I think this is where the crossroads are going to hit. You're either going to agree with me on this one or you're not. What is your view of the world? Because when he says you are the salt of the earth, you've got to take a second. What is your view of the earth? And I'm not talking about like earth and nature and it's blue and global climate warming. I'm not going in that direction. I'm talking about like, again, what we're talking about inhabitants and people and society. That's what's meant by the world. What is your view of that? Because God started the world, and it was good. He created all things that was good. God made it all, it was good. He provided all, it was good. Husband and wife were naked, that was good. If you didn't like that, you're really probably not going to like when we do the Song of Solomon in February. But again, he put man and woman in the garden, they were naked, good. But he also, again, he made marriage and relationships. He said it was good. But then something happened. God turned around in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, and he says, you shall, surely not, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you shall not eat of that. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Decomposition. Rot. The moment you eat this is the moment death starts ruling. God gives the warning. But what does man do? They eat it. And in Genesis chapter 3, and then the Lord, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said to the serpent, deceive me, and I ate. I ate. Death is now here. God created everything good. But now death and rot rules. Eventually it gets to the point where, again, people keep sinning and sinning and sinning. Genesis chapter 6 gets to the point where the wickedness of men was great on earth and every intention and thought of his heart was only on evil continually. And it grieved God's heart that he created man. We 
fast forward to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. It says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they accumulate for themselves, teachers that suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander into myths. This is post the cross. This is post the greatest day ever where Jesus rose from the dead. And people, and Paul is even saying, people are still going to wander away from truth. This is after Jesus came back from life, or came back from death and was alive. And people still are like, nah, I don't think so, man. Like Pastor, Do- or Pastor Roy even said last week, people disagree whether or not Jesus physically died and physically rose again. But like, I don't think that's true. And we get to this last one, Romans chapter 12, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. So what's your view of the world? What's your view of society? Because if it's anything other than rot, decay, sinful, my heart's troubled for you. If you look over at the world, I'm like, that looks like a good time. The Bible doesn't know that. The Bible's not speaking about that. I can go to that. The world is death. The world is rot. Anything that exists outside of Jesus Christ, the word of God, is rot in death. And that's something we got to get to. Too many times Christians live and they act and they respond just like the world. They become that salty, that bitter, that upsetting. We act like the world is perfectly acceptable just to be like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to adopt that. I'm just going to add that to my personality and just move forward in life. But this is where we got to get to because Jesus calls his followers to be salt. To be the person who brings preservation. To bring the person who stops the rot. Puts it in a spot where, again, there's not this decomposing. There's not the smell of decay. Because what he's saying is he's doing so because the world tent is trending towards decomposition. Nothing's getting better. So, again, if you're like all into eschatology, nothing gets better before Jesus comes back. No political system, no economy, no nothing is going to get to this point. Man, this is really, really good. We can have a conversation about the millennium at some point. Again, not, everything is trending towards rot. Everything is dying. Everything is decomposing. But for us, Jesus, again, he says, you are the salt. How can we be the salt if we're acting just like the thing that's dying? I read something in one of my commentaries. Is that when the world is left to itself, it festers and it putrefies, for the germs of evil are everywhere, everywhere present and active. So what's your view of the world? It's okay. It's all right. I can do some of those things, but you don't know because I repent about them. It's okay for me to do that. It's in control. No. We have to look at it again. The world is rotting away. This is what I love. So Jesus is okay with the world rotting away? By no means. Roy said it last week when he said John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. He knew condemnation, death, rot is the direction that the world is going. But Jesus puts himself there to be like, I, I, I can't let it happen. I can't let people go this route. 
I, I cannot know that they are going to hell eternally and just do nothing about it. God's desire, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, God's desire is this is good and this is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Jesus wants every single person to come to the knowledge of who he is. I don't care where you want to be theologically and be like, well, Jesus predestines everybody and I want to take a super high road Calvinistic approach and I don't need to go talk to him because Jesus knows who's going to get saved and who's not. No, Jesus wants every single person to come to know the knowledge of him. And if the church is like, "Mm, let's high road ourselves out of evangelizing, what are we doing? Rot, decomposition, smell, Death is that direction. We're like, mm, God predestined them for that. That's your conclusion of the Bible. Have a come, come have a conversation with me. We'll, we'll talk real quick about what your theological view is there. But again, how does Jesus ensure that people come to know him? How does he stop the rot? Jesus is saying for humanity without him, there is no hope and the rotting will continue. But he calls his followers, you, me, are the salt of the earth. He calls his church to be the salt. For us to go rub shoulders with the world where we're not going to act like the world, but we're going to bring some sense of preservation. We're going to bring something that can stop the rot. We're going to bring something that can make sure that this person isn't just going in that direction. And so if the world is rotting spiritually, mentally, logical, everything is heading towards death. How can we as the church hear Jesus' words where he says, you are the salt of the world, and just sit back and be like, that's someone else's job. That's programming's job. My pastor will get to that after he's been sleeping on the couch for a week, after he hits his wife with a pie in the face. And again, he'll have a good attitude about that. But we'll get to evangelism after he gets to it. But we got to take a stop and we got to be like, whoa, he's called us to do this. He's called us to be this. The reason Jesus calls us to be the salt has nothing to do with our skill set, our ability, our knowledge, our capacity, our moral superiority. He calls us because we know the hope and we know the preservation that is found in him. Again, the blessed be. Are you the blessed be? Because if you're the blessed be, how can you stand by and watch somebody just decompose in front of you? How can you not go talk about that? How can you not go have a conversation with them? I've seen the church do kind of two things. We withhold the salt, meaning we isolate ourselves. I can't go hang out with them. They watch CNN. They're not my kind of Christian. Can't go hang out with them. They're a sinner. So are you. Can't go hang out with them. They're a Muslim. They're a different religion. (gasps) They're an atheist. (gasps) Heavens forbid. But we isolate ourselves. We withhold preservation from people who are going to hell. I don't want to offend you, so I'm not going to say the truth. We withhold that from people. We get to a place where, again, like we don't want to preach the gospel. Like We'd rather just come to a place for entertainment. And pastors do this. I pray to God I never become one of those pastors who are just trying to build a number and get it. Oh, I can't preach that. That doesn't go well. Talking to somebody today about repentance. We, we hardly talk about repentance. And again, you repent and you believe. 
But no, let's have a good time. Let's have a funny sermon. Here's a fun illustration. Here's some sermons, or here's some illustrations about my kids. Let's have a good Sunday. We withhold the salt. We can't do that. We have to talk about the gospel. We have to make sure that the gospel is ever present in what we do. Now, I'm not saying offend somebody. I'm not saying be a jerk about it. But at some point, if you know somebody's going to hell, if you know they're rotting away with worldly ideologies, you got to say something. But they're going to get offended. Yes, they are. If you ever put salt in a wound, it burns real bad. I've done it. Doesn't feel good. It's going to hurt. But for us to withhold that, it's just going to keep being an infection. It's going to get worse. We have to say something. We cannot withhold the salt. The second thing is what the church has done is it's become too salty. Like I said in the beginning, I don't think when Jesus is talking about this, again, what he's saying, we're bitter, we're sour, we're upset. The church has just been really mad about people who are like rotting away. So a really fun illustration. I hope I don't offend anybody. What's your expectation for roadkill? And I'm not trying to be grizzly. I'm not trying to be gross. But like in the same way, if you see a dead animal on the side of the road, what is your expectation for that carcass? Flies. Flies. Decomposition. Gross. Do you expect it to get up and start running around? No. You have no expectation for something that is dead. If it's dead, it's dead. You're not going to be staring at it again. An animal, raccoon, whatever it is, and be like, it'll get up soon. Nope, 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 nope. The direction of death is death. You have no expectation for something that is dead. So why do we have an expectation for the world that is heading towards hell, that is decomposing, that is rotting? Man, they'll start acting right soon. Left for their own devices, they'll understand. Now, can Jesus intervene? Absolutely. Can Jesus get a hold of somebody's heart when we don't? Absolutely. But the same right for us just to keep sitting down. They'll get it eventually. I don't want to say anything. I'm going to withhold it. But I'm going to have a really bad attitude about them when they're sinning. I'm going to glare at them. How dare you not know this? How dare you not know the sanctity of life even though you don't know anything about the gospel? These are things we do. How dare they not hold to any type of biblical standard? Yes, because they don't know the Bible. What is your expectation for roadkill? It's dead. So when you see somebody who's rotting, festering in worldly ideology, why do you have any type of moralistic expectation that they would remotely resemble Jesus or what you resemble? Because, again, blessed be is so counterintuitive to what the world looks like. So when somebody's like, I'm pro-LGBT, yeah, you're lost, you're broken, you're rotting away. Somebody who's pro-choice, you're broken, you're busted, you're rotting, you don't see the way God sees it. Anything biblically. Jesus Christ is not the only way. Pick a sin and we could go there. But why do we expect them? Also, again, it's kind of a circular loop. We've withheld the salt. We haven't put the salt out there. And we're looking at the world because the church has gone gone isolation. We've gone bomb shelter mode and we've turned around and we've stopped talking about Jesus. And then we're starting around looking at the world and wondering, well, why is it going in this direction? Because the only time a Christian talks about Jesus is right now. 
The only time somebody wants to praise about Jesus is during church time. Why is it that we can watch the world completely rot away but be okay praising about Jesus? That's us singing hymns and songs and all those things and the entire property is burning down around us and being like, this is fine. This is good. We're okay. It'll get better. No. The church is meant to be the salt. So how can we be the salt? Like I said, we got to talk about Jesus. Someone's going to ask you tomorrow when you go to work, what would you do this weekend? I watched the Lions lose again. You going to talk about church? You going to talk about what God's done? Can you talk about what God has done in your life this week? Because, again, we got to talk to people about Jesus. The second thing we got to do is, again, we got to read and apply God's word. Because if we're not conforming to the image of him, we're going to naturally conform to the image of rot. If we're not reading truth, how can we go tell people about truth? If we're not getting preserved ourselves, because again, you are sinful, you are fallen, you are broken in the same way that the world is. You just know truth. But if you're not reading and applying God's word to your life, how do you expect that you can bring preservation to anybody else's? Uh, Jesus loves you. Why? Uh, That's all I got, John 3.16. I'm out. You need to read it. You need to know it. Because, again, some people can be okay with, okay, God loves me, but then why did I have to go through every single thing that I've gone through in my life? You've got to understand about God's sovereignty and that God always has a plan. You've got to understand that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We've got to read God's word. We've got to apply it. But the big one is we can't conform to the world. We can't look like the world and then show up and be like, hey, I'm going to bring some preservation to your life. You should stop sinning. A big way for us to be able to look at, again, are you being salt? Look at the relationships around you. Is there any type of preservation there? Now, again, there's an aspect that people have to be in responsible for their actions. But is there salt inside of your marriage? Is there preservation there? Is there preservation inside of your family? Is there preservation? Is there salt inside of your job? Dude, when people walk in and they're talking about their old, again, the old ball and chain, they're talking about their wife. Do they know? Uh, I shouldn't say that around them. They don't, they don't like that. Is there salt? Is there preservation at your job? Is there preservation in your community? Do people know what you believe? Do people know that you're Christian? Somebody would never say, again, if we say Jesus Christ in the proper way, but you ever know that you can say that word in a really, really bad way? Do people know to never, ever, ever even try to say the Lord's name in vain in front of you? Because, again, that's preservation. Like, I, we, we, don't, we don't do that here. I, I, I can't let you do that. But that's offensive. I told them to stop. Yeah, it is. But in the same right, thou shalt not use God's name in vain, and we can't allow people to continue to sin and continue to rot. So guess what? At one point, we're going to have to say something. Are we doing these things? For me, I, I think this can be one of those things where we start looking at it, and we're like, oh, my gosh, this is so much. This is so hard. Yes, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he says, in teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus Christ did not send you alone to go be the salt of the earth without having him with you, because you alone can do nothing. You on your own merit, you on your own skill, you on your own ability, you on, on your own biblical aptitude can do nothing. 
Why is this such a daunting task? And you are the salt of the world. Like, the world? Could you just narrow that down a little bit? Jesus is like, yeah, 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 I know I, know I told you you're the salt of the world. But guess what? I'm with you. So sometimes we listen to sermons and they're like this like punch in the face, like I'm not doing that here, I'm not doing that there, I'm not opening my mouth about Jesus, I'm not talking to my kids, I'm not talking to my spouse, I'm never actually mad about it again or talking about people's sin. We don't hold each other accountable as the church as we should. How can I go talk to the, the world about their sin? And you start looking at them like, I, I, I'm just not good at this. I can't do it. So again, that's when you put it in a box and you put it off the side but like that. I'm not part of the you. I'm not there yet. I'll get there one day, but one day. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He wasn't saying that because, again, like it's all what you have. He was saying that because he knew what was going to come in that promise at the end of the Great Commission. That I am with you. I'm here for you. I'm your reliance. You need me? I'm here for you. You need to know how to have that tough conversation with your, your, your high school kid or your college kid about their, their, life, their, their life looking like sin. How do I do that? Yeah, the Bible says that if we pray for Jesus, he'll give us the words to speak. When we turn around, we got to go have that hard conversation with somebody that we know for a fact hates Christianity. Man, they're going to hate me. Yeah, they might. The Bible says it's going to be true. But he's with you. He'll protect you. He even said, blessed be those who are persecuted and reviled. Yeah, it's going to be hard, but yeah, they might not like you anymore, but I do. You can be in a spot where you got to look at your spouse and be like, the direction of our marriage isn't where it needs to be. Both of us aren't in a spot where we need to be with God. You might not be, I might not be, but we need to figure this out. Again, you got to have those hard conversations. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, that's hard. But I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. Yeah, you got to show grace and mercy and forgiveness, but guess what? I'm right behind you to show you mercy, grace, and forgiveness. I think so often when we look at, again, being commissioned and being the church, we start looking at our own skills, our own abilities. We're like, I can't do it. You're right. Accept that. Then move forward because, again, Jesus Christ is with you. Because, again, when he calls us to go be the salt of the world, he's not asking you to be perfect. He's not asking you to turn around and have all the answers. But what he is saying is, I need you to press into me. So again, why do we talk about Jesus? I was reading in Psalm 88 and Psalm 89. I'm going to go into this next week again. Praising, speaking out the steadfast love of the Lord. Can't wait to go over this next week. Talking about how great Jesus is. You'd be amazed what that can do to somebody. You you believe Jesus is going to help you through this? Yeah. This is the worst thing you've ever gone through? Yeah, I don't know what's going on, man, but Jesus does. You speak that. Why do we read the Bible? Because again, we start conforming our minds. We start conforming our hearts to the image of him. People start looking at us like, why, why, why are you acting that way? How can you love me right now? How do you care for me right now? I, I'm, I'm garbage. I'm gross. I'm sick. I'm part of that decomposition. I'm part of that rot. Yeah, Jesus loves rot. He knows how to restore it. I love that last one though. We don't conform. We don't want to conform because Jesus is right there. We want Jesus to recognize us. We want Jesus to know us. We want to reflect Jesus. So when Jesus says, and again, God gave his church the task, you are the salt of this earth. The same grace that preserved you, you have the ability to go give that to somebody else. So the church, let's not be a church that withholds it. Let's not be a church that gets salty about the world going in the direction that the world is. 
Let's go be the church that knows how to rub off on some rotten. Hopefully we see God save and preserve some people. That's why we're here. That's what he calls us to be.